Now, I heard somebody a moment ago, you came to hear Pastor Jeff, and Brendan made an announcement, Pastor Sunday, he's going to appreciate it. I thought Pastor Jeff pastored here. He does. Uh, he's been out on a little uh, time of rest, relaxation, and uh, we're grateful for that. And I just want to say thank you for letting me come. I thank Pastor Jeff for letting me come and be a part of uh, Turning Point Family Church here for the past couple of weeks. And uh, it's been good for me. Uh, you've encouraged me. Your worship stirs me. And uh, I'm glad I'm here this morning to share the Word of God with you. Before I get started in my message, let's go back to last Sunday. How many were here last Sunday? All your hands. Okay, you're, you'll be ready for this. So take a test. I mentioned four things that you need to have a healthy soul. And uh, let's begin. What was number one? Rest. Did any of you get rest in Him this week? We need rest. Number two, what do we need? Number two, what, hey, we're going to get, oh, hey, hang on. That's number three. Number, we need responsibility. You're getting it. Respons- we all need responsibility. Something God has called us to do. And uh, we need responsibility. This is all found in Genesis chapter two. We all need responsibility. Number three, we need restraint. We need to say no to something. Saying no to something is good for us. Now, I'm going to get this mic. Hang on just a second. All right. Okay, here we go. Saying no is, is good. Uh, God told Adam in the garden, he said, I'm going to put you in the garden. But he said, I'm putting this particular tree here. Don't go near it. Don't eat it or you're going to die. And this was before the fall. He said, it's good for you to say no to something, to have some restraint. And I left a, that's an important one to me. And there was one restraint or where you need to say no that I forgot to mention last week. And that's your own voice in your own head. You know, we got a voice in our head that drowns out most other voices. And sometimes that voice is telling us you're not good enough. Uh, you'll never amount to anything. You're a loser. Uh, you'll never measure up to what... Uh, the Lord wants you to be. We have this voice going on, and we need to say no to that voice. Isaiah 53, 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you shall condemn. And sometimes it's your own voice you need to say no to. I'm not going to listen to myself. That's not what God said about me. I'm going to say what God says to what God says is what I see. So, We need restraint. And the last thing was, we need what? Relationships. We need each other. Have you seen that? I've seen it played out this this week. I watched a couple of football games yesterday and the Ryder Cup, which is a golf match. And I realized people just finally said, enough's enough. I'm going to get out and go watch some football. I need to be around other people like me, rooting for my team. And they packed out stadiums, if you saw it. Hundreds of thousands of people gathered together to watch a football game. Uh, I was watching the Ryder Cup, a golf match. It was going between USA and Europe. And and, uh, they had thousands of people there. People said, enough, enough. I need to be around some other people. And so we need each other. And then also, I had a kind of epiphany this morning that I realize many of the experts that I read and I pay attention to in church life, 
have been saying church is never going to be the same again. People that used to come to church are no longer going to come to church. We're going to have to get used to church different than we've had it before the pandemic. And I began to think about that and I think, hang on just a minute. I don't know if I want to listen to that voice or not. Because I want to believe just like people return to the football games in multitude thousands, I believe that the, and they did it without the Spirit of God urging them to go. They just went. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. And there's a lot of people out there that has the Holy Spirit living in them and haven't returned to church. But I believe the Holy Spirit's going to stir them and say, you need relationships. Get back to the house of God. And you that are watching, thank you for watching online. But let me encourage you, it's nothing like being in the house of God with the people of God. Encourage you, just ask the Lord, when's it time for me to go back? And he'll let you know. We want to see you in and amongst us, because this is important. Now, let me get to today's message. That was all free. I'll give you today's message. I'm preaching on a subject. Well, I, what's this? Can you read that? Vision for revival. This was our conference theme at our conference at our network of churches, and had these t-shirts made up, and I have a vision for revival. And, and, and revival is not something you put on the calendar and you say, for these three days we're going to have revival, or for this week we're going to be in revival. That might be revival or it might not be. I'm grateful for those campaigns because they really do help. It stirs us up, begin to think about that. But it, revival not, might not break out. When I talk about revival, I mean, here's my definition. When the wind of God blows in and changes everything. When the wind of God just blows in, I mean, it changes everything. It changes even the way we have church. Uh, you know, I, I've been a part of this revival, uh, a revival like that, the Jesus movement. Some of you were around during the Jesus movement, and some of you, it's just in the history books, but it was real. And the wind of God blew across this nation, I'm telling you, changed everything. The wind of God, it started in my local aspect, it started in the church where my pa uh, father pastored, Beverly Hills Baptist Church in Oak Cliff, uh, the wind of God blew one morning at 3 o'clock in the morning when my dad was seeking him, blew in, changed him, and changed everything. We were a good Southern Baptist church. We would give out bulletins every Sunday, and in that bulletin, it had the order of service. Some of you remember this. We knew what songs we were going to sing, when we were going to sing them, and we knew exactly what time church was going to get out. But when the Holy Spirit... Blew in among us, the bulletin, whoop, no, don't print that anymore because that's not going to work. The Holy Spirit came in and things were just different. My father preached different. Uh, there were times he would, my mom said, something wrong with you, hon. He was either laughing or crying all the time. And you didn't know which one he was going to do on a Sunday morning. Sometimes he would just start laughing. Sometimes he would just sit down and start crying. Sometimes he would preach, and sometimes he'd say, we're just going to give an invitation. There are people here that need to get saved. And guess what happened? People came and got saved. 
And I know I've shared some of this with you, but I got to share it again. I remember one Sunday morning, us that were in charge of the, we were in charge, you know, of the church service. We, we determined how things were going to go. We were in the back waiting for church to start when all of a sudden we heard singing going on among the congregation. Worship broke out among the church members without one person standing on the platform leading the way. It just broke out. And all of a sudden, we said, oh, we better get out there. Church has already started without us. The Holy Spirit blew in, changed everything. I'm believing the Lord for that. Uh, There's a police detective show. Some of you might know what I'm talking about, this show that I watched, this series. And the theme song would always come on, and it would just say these words, I've got a feeling, and I can't let go. I got a feeling, and I can't let go. I got a feeling, and I can't let go. And it had to do with a detective that had a feeling about someone that had committed a crime, and maybe the evidence didn't prove it, but he just had a feeling he couldn't let go. And that's when I heard that. I said, ooh, that's the way I feel about revival. I've got a feeling, and I can't let go. Matter of fact, I got a feeling, and I don't want to let go. Because I believe the wind of God is going to blow across our nation again and change everything. And does our nation need the wind of God to blow across and change everything? Absolutely. We need it. We need a fresh move of God. We need revival. So I have vision for revival. My message today is really, I entitled it, uh, The Mystery of Revival. Because revival is a mystery. There's no steps, one, two, three, four, poof, you're in revival. It doesn't work that way. I know there have been outbreaks of revival, and I've rushed down to them to see what was going on. And a lot of people have rushed down to see, how did this happen? And they want to go back home, and they want to say, okay, okay, they did this and this and this. And then they had, re- no, it doesn't work that way. It's a sovereign move of the Holy Spirit. And it's a mystery. You're just praying one day, and you're seeking the Lord one day, and all of a sudden, you're just having church like normal, and the Holy Spirit just blows in, and things are changed. And I know that what I experienced in the early 70s and late 70s was truly a move from God, because that that happened then is affecting me now. And it didn't just affect me, it affected not just our congregation, but it went across our nation and literally around the world. Pastor Jeff was a part of that. John Tracy sitting down here came to this service. He was a part of that. My wife was a part of that. They were part of that. And I believe that, and I, and I pray that within my lifetime that I have left on this earth, we'll have another experience just like that. Matter of fact, I preached that in the first service I wish he would have given this in public way, but there was a prophetic word. A gentleman came up to me and said, I've been praying, and the Lord's given me a prophetic word. And it was about revival, that we were going to be present when revival came again. That we're going to see it in our city, in our communities. But it is a mystery. I know those that have prayed for it for years, and they never get to experience it personally. You know, Joel, he saw it thousand years down the road when he prophesied about Pentecost. He saw it, he prophesied about it, but he didn't get to experience it. 
And there's a lot of people that pray and they seeking God for revival, but they never get to experience it. But guess what happens? The next generation that comes up gets to enjoy that fresh wind of God that blows. And so I don't know whether I, and I trust I will get to experience it once again, but whether I do or not, I'm going to keep pressing towards it. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep believing. And I trust my children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and we'll get to experience what I've had got to experience in my lifetime. Fresh move of God. Another mystery of revival comes from a book of the Bible that most of us are familiar with in some form or fashion. It's the book of Jonah. You've got to understand Jonah, which we'll go through in just a moment. Jonah was a man that God wanted to be a part of a great revival in a certain city. Jonah's the only preacher I know ever in the history of preachers since Jonah and since today that did not want to be in revival. He did not want any part of it. That's a mystery to me. But we're going to find out because I'm telling you today, don't be a Jonah. I want you to be open for revival. Because I really believe it's on the horizon. I believe our nation is being set up with all the stuff going on. The political unrest, the pandemic, the southern borders. Everything that's going on, I believe, is a setup for revival. And we just got to get ready for what the Lord is willing and ready to do. One of the saddest verses in all the Bible comes out of the book of Judges, chapter 2. Joshua, it says, and the generation that lived with Joshua, they all died. Came to the promised land, they all died. Then it says there was a generation that was raised up that did not know God nor his power. Well, what a sad verse that is. Apparently, Joshua did not leave a successor. Apparently, the families that were living at that time did not talk enough about the power of Almighty God that they had experienced. Seeing Jericho fall and crossing the sea and They just didn't talk about it enough. And so their children didn't know about the power of God. And I'm saying to myself, well, maybe I don't talk enough about the power of God. Maybe I don't talk enough about what I've seen and what I've been a part of. And if you've been a part of a great move of God, it's time to start talking. about. Talk about the wonderful works of God. Tell your children about the miracles God's worked in your life. So they'll know there's a God in heaven and there's a God that is working on this earth. Amen? All right. Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. I better get my glasses out so I can read this properly. Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Arise, go to Nineveh. Now, side note. Nineveh is modern-day Iraq. It was the largest city 
in the known world for, for many years. It's the capital of Assyria. Arise, go to Nineveh. It was a pagan country. They didn't know God. They did evil things. They killed a lot of people, imprisoned a lot of people, did a lot of nasty things. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. God said, enough, enough. Verse 3. This is sad. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish. It was in the opposite direction. He fled from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with him to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So the ship was about to be broken up, and the mariners were afraid. All the sailors were afraid. Every man cried out to his God. They had many gods, and every sailor began to cry out to his God. And they began to throw things overboard, trying to save the ship and their lives. It didn't work. And so one, the captain of the ship, Went down in the hall where Jonah was. What was he doing? He was sleeping. I believe that's the only thing that could bring him peace. I better just get to sleep. He didn't have to think about anything. He just sleep. And the captain saw Jonah sleep in the bottom of the boat. He says, what are you doing? Wake up. Cry out to your God. Maybe your God will save us. Jonah woke up. These men were just trying to figure out what are we going to do? How are we going to save ourselves? And they said, here's what we're going to do. This has happened for a reason. They believed that if something bad happened, there was a reason behind it. And there was a reason behind this. Somebody's caused this. And so they thought, well, let's cast lots or draw straws. And Jonah came up with a short straw. And he's sitting there holding the short straw. And they said, who are you? What have you done? He says, I'm Jonah. This has happened because of me. I've disobeyed the voice of God. I'm running away from him and my assignment. He said, the only thing that's going to save you and this ship is to throw me overboard. Now listen, Jonah did not know there was a great fish about to swallow him up. He was just saying, I'd rather die than obey God. I'd rather die than go to Nineveh. That's what he was saying. you got to throw me. They said, no, we're not going to do that. And so they tried to throw some more stuff off the ship. They tried to roll hard. didn't work. So they said, okay, your blood's not going to be on our hands. And they tossed him overboard. And guess what happened? It says, the sea, calm down. And these sailors go, Wow, who is that God? And they begin to worship Jehovah God, offering offerings to Jehovah God. And Jonah found himself all of a sudden in the belly of a big fish. He didn't know that was the plan, but that was God's plan. He found himself in the belly of this fish, and you read Jonah chapter 2, and you're going to find out something. First of all, we know in chapter 1, Jonah was disobedient. In chapter 2, he became desperate. Now, that's not a bad thing. 
But I want to tell you the reason he became desperate. The only reason he became desperate is because he found himself in a big fish's belly. And he, he was going to the place of shield, the place of the dead, and he knew it. And something more, I mean, this traumatic experience caused him to be desperate. I'm glad he became desperate, but let me just say something to you. You don't need a traumatic experience in your life to become desperate for God. Most people, that's the only way they come to God. Something terrible happens, and they, oh, we better call out on God, and they call out on God. But I want to live my life where I'm desperate for Him all the time. I don't have to have God hit me upside the head to tell me I need Him. But Jonah needed that, and he became desperate, and he prayed this prayer to God. Oh, God, I see what's up now. You can read it in Jonah chapter 2. And at the end, he says, okay, God, I get it. I'll obey you now. And then in Genesis chapter 3, we see that Jonah delivers the message to Nineveh after this big fish spits him out on the shores of Nineveh. Now then, we see Jonah, it says he walked. Let's, Let's just look at it here. Verse 4 of chapter 3. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out. Here's his message. This is it. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Eight words. One of the shortest messages ever preached. I've never preached a message that short. But that was his message. And all of a sudden, the people who saw Jonah heard his words, believed God, and they began to repent. Now, why would they do that? Now, here's something you may or may not know. The God they served was called Dagon, the fish god. And they also worshiped Miss Fish. That was his wife. And somebody may have seen Jonah spit out from that fish's belly, or he came and showed up in town, and many believe his skin was probably bleached because of the acid of the fish. So he's bleached out. He had a little seaweed around him. And he tells a story about being spit out on the seashore from this great fish. And they just all said it clicked, and then, ooh, this could be a message from God. And they believed God and began to repent. They went to the king and said, let me tell you about a man. We just saw his name is Jonah. Here's what he said. If we don't repent, we're going to perish. Oh, by the way, he was spit upon the shore by a big fish. What? And the king says, man, he took off his royal robe, put it down, put on sackcloth and ashes. He says, all right, I'm going to make a decree. Everybody in this City is going to pray. You're going to fast. Not going to eat. You're not going to drink water. And just to be safe, don't give your animals any water or food either. Maybe God will change his mind. Verse 10. Then God saw their works. They turned from their evil way. And God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Now look at chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased 
Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. Jonah became despondent because God changed his mind to send judgment. Jonah did not want these Ninevites who had been a thorn in the side of the Jewish people for years, had killed many of them, had imprisoned many of them, just been nasty to the Jewish people. And Jonah did not want them to experience God's mercy. That's a mystery to me. Well, kind of. I don't know about you, but in recent months, as I watched the news and saw the upheaval in our nation, I said, God, what have we done? And what I see, I said, is this your judgment? I see a lot of evil going on. I see an outbreak. I see cities being burned to the ground. I've seen rioters and looters. I've seen people who do not know your word or obey your word or even worship God that, like I do. Look what they're doing. And sometimes, and I'm just going to confess to you, I was sitting back watching the news and watching all this going on. I'm thinking, boy, if judgment was ever going to come, it's going to come now. And something inside of me says, I think they deserve it. I think they deserve it. They've taken the Ten Commandments out of the courthouses. They won't let them put them on the, in schools anymore. They've taken prayer out of the schools. They won't to teach a Bible in school. They've done all these things. And I've seen all this build up, build up. I said, maybe the cup of evil is filled. And it's time for judgment. But the sad thing about it, I was sitting back going, hmm, let me see how God's going to do this. I was kind of like James and John. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to worship. And they had to go through a Samaritan village. And they said, he told his disciples, go to that Samaritan village and prepare a place for me for a little while. And they went in to prepare a place for him. And the Samaritans, who were renegade Jews, kind of a mixed breed, and they believed on the uh, mountain of Gerizim is where you were to worship, and Jews believed Jerusalem were to worship, and they saw that the disciples of Jesus were headed to Jerusalem and not stopping off here to worship. And so they said, no, you're not coming in here. And so the disciples went back along with James and John and said, hey, they're not going to let us come in. James and John says, Lord, would you like for us to call down fire upon them? Because they won't receive you. We'll just call down fire. Just like Elijah did. Won't that be cool? I don't think they said that. But that's what they were thinking. And Jesus looked at them and said. Men. You don't even know why I've come. I didn't come to destroy life. I came to save life. But like Jonah. In chapter 4. He became despondent. And that despondency led him to be angry and angry at God. Why? Let me tell you why. Here's why. Boy, this baffles me, sort of. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, 
Was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarsus, for I know, I know this about you. You're a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents from doing harm. Therefore, now, O Lord, listen, please take my life. Here it is again. If you're not going to kill them, just kill me, God. I'd rather die than see this nation repent and receive your mercy. Why, is that a mystery to you? I get a little tinge of it sometimes myself when I see people do. Oh, Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, is it right Jonah, for you to be angry? Jonah went out of the city, built him a little shelter because it was the heat of the day, and he built him a little shelter. And he said he got under that shelter, and he was just going to wait and see what the Lord was going to do. Jonah was hoping that judgment would come upon these pagan Ninevites. God saw Jonah and felt a little sorry for Jonah, and he caused a plant to grow up over Jonah and gave him shade. And it says that Jonah enjoyed that shade and was kind of enjoying what was happening at the moment. The next morning, God sent a worm to eat that plant up. The plant was no longer shading Jonah, and the heat began to come down upon him, and the hot east wind began to blow across him, and it agitated Jonah again, and he got angry at God because he took away his shade tree. He said, Jonah, you're so angry at me for taking away your shade, and you're not so angry that I want to show mercy to these Ninevites. Jonah kind of ends in an abrupt way. The Lord said to him, you've had pity on this plant for which you've not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in the night. Should I not pity Nineveh, this great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left. Oh, and there's a lot of livestock in there. That's it. That's the end of Jonah. We don't know if Jonah ever repented from his attitude, but we know he had one. He did not want to see God show mercy. And sometimes I feel like, Jonah, I see some people, they deserve judgment, God. They don't deserve your mercy. But God says, I'm a God of mercy and grace. You think I desire the wicked to perish and die in their sin? No. I desire the wicked to repent and receive my mercy and my grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. That's my heart. I look out on our world today, I look out on our nation today, I said, come on, God, give them what they deserve. God says, no, 
I want to show some mercy. You know, oftentimes we are praying for revival. And we say, God, we're waiting on you. Send revival. But I believe God kind of looks back at us and say, you're waiting on me? I'm waiting on you. I'm, I'm waiting on you to prepare your heart for what I want to do. I don't want you to miss what I'm going to do. God sent his spirit in the early 70s. That's all I can read it to. He sent his A lot of people missed it. They missed the move of God because they didn't like how he came. Came in the power of the Holy Spirit. He came baptizing people in a power, boy, nobody understood. Gifts began to be, ooh, they didn't understand. They didn't like it. They said, I don't like this, the way God, they said, that's not God. And they missed the move of God. And I prayed for many years, Lord, I know you're going to move again. I don't know how you're going to do it. But please don't let me miss it just because I don't understand it. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know where it's going to happen. But I believe with all of my heart it's going to happen. Maybe, think about this, it'll break out in Washington, D.C. Woo, wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> President Biden comes on the screen the best he can. He says, something happened to me last night. I can't explain it. The best thing you probably could do is just start speaking in tongues. That would probably help him out. Maybe it'll break out in Portland, Oregon, where there's been so much trouble. And I don't know. Maybe it'll break out among Democrats or Republicans. I remember when 9-11, many of you, we just honored recently 9-11. Do you remember after that? awful day in our nation. I remember, and this has stayed with me, when Republicans and Democrats gathered on the Capitol steps and they sang, God bless America. That's the last time they, last time they sung, God bless America. You remember, though, President Bush began to go to all the baseball games and after at, at seventh inning stretch every baseball they sang God bless America and it just kind of why it was a traumatic event that brought desperation we'll call out on God maybe he'll bless America we need it again we need the wind of God to blow and change everything, change Washington, change politics, change us from what we are to what God wants us to be. How do we do it? Let me tell you how to do it. You've got to break up the fallow ground. The Bible says break up the fallow ground. It says you break it up. God, show me what the fallow ground is. That means fallow ground is ground that's been plowed up, planted, and then overgrown again and hardened past couple of years, some of our hearts have gotten a little hardened, a little crusty toward people. They don't deserve mercy, Lord. Got a little hard toward people. God, break up that fallow ground. 
Some people have gotten a little hard toward church. We'll just stay away. A little hard toward getting around other people. Got to break up that fallow ground. I don't know what the fallow ground is in your life, but it's time to break it up because the Spirit of God's going to blow across us. And I don't want you to miss it. There's a harvest coming in. The rain is coming. The latter rain and the former rain is coming at the same time. Spirit of God is going to be poured out upon all flesh. Our sons and daughters are going to prophesy. Headmaidens and servants are going to prophesy. It's going to be men, women, and children. God's going to need all of us to bring in the harvest that he has in mind. So, Lord, may it happen at least one more time. Amen? You for it? Can you get a vision for revival? Let's pray together. Father, we grateful that we can come today and read your word and come to an understanding of your heart for people. Even those who have been rebellious against you, they defamed your name, they've cursed you, They've cursed your people. But yet, Lord, you still love them. And you're willing. To send mercy their way. Lord, I pray for every hard heart. Every blind eye. That you'd open eyes. Lord, that we in turn would plow up the fallow ground that's in our heart. Send your wind. Change everything, Lord. We are living in a season of grace. It all started when Jesus came. and Really, it happened. We see grace here in the book of Jonah. But grace, there's going to be a day of judgment. And the reason, Peter said it this way. Some of you are saying, why hasn't the Lord come yet? You've been saying he's going to come for years, and he hasn't come yet. He's being a little slow, isn't he? No. Peter said, no, he's not being slow about his return. He's giving us more time to get the message out. Why? Because he's not willing that any perish but all come to repentance. The reason I came today is for someone, God's given you an opportunity in this room, watching online, an opportunity to be forgiven of your sin. To be transformed by His power and by His love. Lord, we pray for those that may be in this room or watching online that, Lord, they know you. We don't have to tell them that they are sinners. They know that. They know they've missed the mark. But Lord, I hear you calling them and say you're willing to show mercy to them if they'll just repent turn around and come to you if you're here in this room today and you say that's me that's me I'm not right with God and I know it 
But I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to know that I'm forgiven. If you're in this room right now, I'm going to ask you to do something. We're all praying. I'm going to ask you just to lift up your hand to the Lord. If you're online, just let someone know. Tune in here and just say, that's me. I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to be forgiven. I want to experience His mercy. Just lift up your hand in the house. See it? See it over here. Jesus says, I forgive you. And I'll change you. 